the end is in every moment. And then sometimes it's not about what you achieve, but rather who you become. I have to remind myself of that. It's, it's not always what I do and what, what I've done, what I've accomplished, but who I'm becoming in the process. In today's busy world, how can we find the inspiration, knowledge, and energy to live a healthy and empowered life? If we balance and harmonize our mind, exercise our body, live according to the laws of nature, and connect to spirit, can we find a way to heal, become our authentic self, and live our purpose with love? I am your hostess, Amy Fournier, and welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite. Hello, my friend, and welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. You know, have you ever thought to yourself or maybe even said out loud, things will get better when, or I'll be happy when, or I can't wait until this happens, or someday when, and it might be like when you lose the weight, or you get the house in my case, or you have the relationship, or you get the new job, or you're out of school, or summer comes, or when the kids are grown, or whatever. I mean, insert your thing that hasn't happened yet, and you're looking forward to it happening because you think you're going to be happier when it happens. Well, I would imagine it's safe to say that all of us feel that way at some point, right? Or certainly know people who feel that way. I know um, people personally in my life that they pretty much say that kind of thing all the time. And what's that saying by somebody who said, the problem is, is you take yourself wherever you go, you know, and that's all too common. It's like, well, you know, the, the life is not always better when something happens. So today we're going to talk about something called destination addiction. And that term was coined by super motivational speaker, best-selling author of Happiness Now, Robert Holden, who's actually a PhD. He started a whole program called Success Intelligence. And uh, this that I'm going to read to you today and share with you and talk about is based on that book, Success Intelligence by Robert Holden. By the way, it's a fantastic book full of all kinds of really cool stuff on basically essential lessons and practices from leading coaches of the world uh, that have helped people just basically live better lives, happier lives, more tapped in and fulfilled. So he coined this term destination addiction. And it's funny because I had this book, once again, a book that I've had for decades at this point, uh, been in my extensive and growing library. (laughs) And, uh, you know, one day it just popped in my head to break out that book again. And it's one of those things where it's funny how life in the timing of the the context of where you're at in life, something that's familiar from the past can be revisited at some point and you have a completely different perception of it, take away from it, benefit from it, perspective, right? It's just, it's beautiful. And that's why I'm building a extensive library, by the way, because that happens, right? Um, You know, if you want to know how, if you want to know people's values, it's said that you should really analyze how they spend their money and their time, right? Time and money, basically the same thing. Uh, But for me, 
for Amy Fournier? Well, I spend a lot of money on education and books, and I don't mean university type thing. I mean like really cool courses and teachings from people I admire and want to be like. You know, you always got to consider the source. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I want to emulate people who are walking the talk and not just talking the talk. So I spend money on a lot of books, organic food, things like that, that just, uh, you know, increase the quality of my life and hopefully help others as well. So destination addiction. Yeah. Robert talks about how, you know, do you ever eat a banana just to get to the end of it? Well, once he was asked that question by one of his friends and teachers, and uh, they had just finished picking up tropical bananas from the garden, and they were just hanging out on their deck, and he laughed at the question, but he was actually serious. The fact that how one person eats a banana can actually teach you a lot about how they live their whole life. And you know that saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. And how it's, it's interesting to just kind of pause on that for a moment. So, you know, think about that in the way that you're going through your days. You know, are you rushing at every point? And are you also rushing when you eat? Are you always rushing when you drive? Are you, do you walk fast? Do you talk fast? So how you do anything is how you do everything. And to the point here, you know, most people don't realize that if we just observe what's going on around us, it teaches us a lot about a bigger picture. And I guess how you eat a banana <laughs> is included in that category. So basically, the research that Robert found was 16% of subjects in a certain study on this reported that the best part is actually the unpeeling of the banana, whereas 24% of the subjects rated the first bite was the best part. 48% of the subjects enjoyed every bite. I'm surprised it's that high. And 12% preferred the last bite. That's kind of interesting. So what does this have to do with anything though? Well, the question is, do you live your life only to get to the end of it? Most people answer this question with a no, but not everyone lives like they mean it. Do you live like you mean it? In our manic society, people exhibit a frantic neurotic behavior that, as again, Robert has coined destination addiction. And I know I have suffered for this, all, suffered with this a lot of my life. And at least now I'm mindful of it. So I try to check it back. This addiction to the destination is a major block to success. And I'll add that it's basically that saying, you know, enjoy the journey. It's not about the destination. You want to enjoy the journey. I actually wrote that on a post-it note to remind myself of it. Because, you know, if you're somebody who's ambitious and, um, you know, have big dreams in life and want to contribute and have a lot on your plate, probably my, pretty much everybody probably listening to my show and certainly my subscribers, <laughs> that's how we are, right? Well, you know, you might be goal-oriented and you're always trying to achieve and make progress and contribute and grow and learn. Well, you can be, you know, bordering with destination addiction, trying to check off those achievements and focused on the end result. But you do so 
at the suffrage of enjoying the journey, right? Enjoying the evolving. Do we enjoy the evolution of the transformational period? You know, it's like nature doesn't rush, okay? And when you think of a little caterpillar that, you know, bursts out of the little cocoon, it doesn't all of a sudden, woo, turn into this gorgeous butterfly and fly all over the world. No, it's a process, right? And without one of the steps of the process, the butterfly would never be able to fly and, and live and flourish. In fact, there was a famous study done where a scientist, there was one uh, caterpillar that they were studying that was struggling to come out of the cocoon. And basically, the scientists intervened, which they don't normally do, no matter how um, emotionally disturbing it might be to try to help the little creature. But they thought they would help it out, and they helped open and crack the, the little shell so the butterfly could, could um, fly out because it was suffocating, it was stuck. But what happened was when they opened the shell and the butterfly tried to fly out, the butterfly took a couple jumps or whatever and basically collapsed and it ended up dying in a short order because what they learned was through the breaking of the shell, and this goes for many reptiles and different animals for that matter, through the process, through the struggle of breaking through that shell, there's a biological event that happens in something going on uh, chemically with the coating on the inside of the shell has some kind of mucousy liquid that in breaking through, it rubs off on the little creature and, and impregnates them with whatever chemicals they're going to need in order for the wings to develop properly and be able to spread and totally fly. Now, I might not have that completely biologically technically right, but the point is, <laughs> for this discussion, is that without that critical step of the struggle, which is interesting symbolically, not only literally, the, the creature does not get the process, the end result, absolutely critical for its ability to live and to thrive. So when the, when the scientists intervened, and out of good heart, tried to help it out, the person actually ended up killing the creature. So with life, a lot of times, we have to remember that process is part of the evolutionary period, and it doesn't feel good, right? Who likes a struggle? Hence the term growing pains, right? They're not fun. We try to skip them or, or wish we could just catapult our children or our animals or our friends or whatever, past them so they don't have to deal with them. But what we also know in our wisdom is that oftentimes, more often than not, they're required in order to shape you into the person who's going to be able to handle the new level of consciousness that you're going to now be operating from. At least that's something that I've learned, that the struggle, although not fun, is often required it's required in order to give you the strength mentally, physically, emotionally to be able to withstand and uphold this new consciousness that you will now become. So we can't be afraid of the struggle 
And sometimes we have to embrace that journey no matter how long it might be. So as far as Robert Holden's destination addiction, he believes that people are addicted to the idea that the future is where success is, that happiness is, that heaven is, that each passing moment is nearly a ticket to get to the future. They live in the basically not now, that they're psychologically absent, they're not here. They're basically what I call forecasting for the future. They're future casting, and they disregard everything they have right now. Destination addiction is a preoccupation with the idea that happiness is somewhere else. We suffer literally from the pursuit of happiness. We're always on the run, on the move, and on the go. Sound familiar? Our goal is not to enjoy the day, it's to get through the day, to check things off the list. We have always to get somewhere else first before we can relax and before we can savor the moment. But we never get there. That's the thing. There is no point of arrival. Sorry to break the news to you. We're permanently dissatisfied because basically like that Jay-Z song, you're always on to the next one, right? I mean, that's something to worth a pause and to just to, to note, you know, how often do we celebrate our successes? I don't know about you, but I'm super guilty of this. I am totally on to the next one. Like, okay, check. You know, are you the kind of person that actually even writes something down on your to-do list that wasn't on there, but that you did because, so you can have the emotional satisfaction of crossing it out and checking it off? Ah, guilty. Oh my God, that's me. I hope I'm not the only one in the world who does that. Like what is wrong with me? I can't even believe I do that, but I do. So yeah, I am really trying to retrain myself to ah, savor, savor, let sink in, let marinate the successes that I've had in my life. Let myself soak them in so I can really Mm, love on myself a little bit after I've accomplished something, even if it's not major. I was going to say major, but it doesn't have to be major. It can be minor, whatever. Just at this point, you know what? I'll take it. You know, like I say all the time, we have to be our own cheerleaders because if we're always looking to life outside, that external validation, that's a hell of a disempowered way to live, isn't it? And it's a very needy type of energy. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a desperate kind of energy. It's a lacking kind of energy. So if we can be our own cheerleader, our own parent and give ourselves that love and encouragement of good job, aim, you did it, honey. Good job. I'm proud of you. I literally say that to myself. I don't know. So I recommend that to you too. So destination addiction is a nonstop approach to inner peace. We're like a runway train bound for a station called Next. (laughs) We embark on fast track careers. They're all about the next position, the next raise, the next stop, the next thing. Our current work is just a stepping stone or even a parking lot where we hang out waiting for the next good opportunity. But in the meantime, we celebrate the end of the day. We say, thank God it's Friday. And we recover on the weekends. We always think everything will be better soon. The life we dream of is coming in the future, somewhere, 
and we hope to catch up with it any day now. Sound familiar? Destination addiction causes us to rush through as many experiences as quickly as possible. We like to be able to say, been there, done that, check. A typical example is the popular package tours that visit European capital cities in a week. (laughs) But surely though, life isn't about just getting things done, right? Hello, it's not about just, you know, being productive, I would hope. Surely life is not about endings, God, how sad is that? Because if it were, we would read only abridged novels. We would read only the cliff notes. We would attend only the final act of the play at the theater. The last note of a symphony would be the best of all. The best restaurants would serve only petite fours, and sex would have no foreplay. (gasps) God forbid. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Destination addiction is an attempt to get on with life faster, 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 in the hope that we will enjoy our lives better. It's certainly the destination, the definition of not being present. And yet our constant speeding means we frequently run past the golden opportunities for grace and betterment that are in the now. Not to mention, I'll add, We miss all those tiny little nuanced miracles that are around us all the time because we're really not right here in our bodies aware of the obvious that's right in front of us. Like, wow, the unbelievably vibrant green color on that leaf that's right outside my window. I can't even believe I've never seen that actual shade of green before. And to just breathe it in and offer it a silent prayer of gratitude just for sharing this time with me right now as I'm recording this for you. And watching how the branch ever so slowly is wafting in the breeze. And I think it's waving hello to me as I'm talking with you. And yep, because now a couple branches just kicked in to join it. So I'm just taking a moment to just really be present to all the miracles that are around me right now, rather than thinking in my head what's coming next. And again, being addicted to the future, taking me out of the magic and the connection that's available at this moment. The thing is, our constant speeding means we're frequently running past the golden opportunities that are right here. We're so harassed by the insecurity of our forward-seeking ego that we have no idea what it means to live by the grace of God, Goddess. We seek, but we do not find. If only we could stop a while and let wisdom and grace show us a better way. One's destination is never a place, but rather a new way of looking at things the quote that novelist Henry Miller says. You can think of grace as being the potential for a better way that is persistent in every situation. Grace is the ability to let yourself be inspired. Grace is the ability to let yourself be inspired. And that means regardless of what's going on around you, that you relax, take a deep breath, 
and let yourself notice something around you that's giving you a sense of appreciation or connection. And that's just my opinion. But as Robert says, grace is letting yourself be touched by the highest intelligence and wisdom available. Our job is not to acquire grace, but rather to accept it. We simply have to make it welcome. Like my example with noticing the leaf and the branches that are right outside my window as I'm with you today. Our destination addiction often works against us, however, because we're too busy running around with our faces and our phones usually to be receptive and aware. Hence, we always feel empty because we're missing it all. So here are some more symptoms of destination addiction, and let's see how many of these feel like they, uh, you could put your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. All right, symptoms of destination addiction. Whatever you're doing, you're always thinking about what's next, right? Are you taking a class and you're in yoga and they're getting toward the end and you're already thinking, all right, what do I have to do? I have to go home, make dinner, make, you know, do the laundry, blah, 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 right? Are you, are you present? Are you always anticipating? When you're driving, I do this all the time. I'm already anticipating being at my destination and what I got to do after that. So you're just not in your body. It's the opposite of embodiment. That's for sure. Another symptom would be you cannot afford to stop because you always have to be somewhere else. How are you supposed to take the time to be present and take a moment for some self-care when there's always someplace else you got to be? You're always in a hurry, even when you don't need to be. Oh boy, that's a habitual pattern, an energy pattern that you've trained your body to subconsciously take on. So that's a big red flag right there. Like, remember what I said in the beginning, how you do anything is how you do everything. You always promise that next year you will be less busy. And like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, things will be better when, insert whatever, okay? Your dream home is always the next home you plan to buy. You don't like your job, but it has good prospects for the future. You never commit fully to anything in case something better comes along. Uh-oh, some people in relationships might be not wanting to raise their hand there, right? You hope the next big success will finally make you happy. You always think you should be further ahead of where, than where you are now. You have so many forecasts, projections, and targets that you never actually enjoy your life. Yikes. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Sometimes the medicine is bitter. How many of those sound like you? Be honest. The German mystic Thomas Kempis observed, Whatever you do, do it with intelligence and keep the end in view. This is a great truth. It's similar to the popular aphorism, begin with the end in mind. The words the end have two different meanings though. One meaning is the finish, i.e. the end of a project or the end of your career. The other meaning is the purpose, i.e. your vision, your values, your goals. The trouble with destination addiction is that it focuses purely on finishes and not on the purpose. To live intelligently is to live with purpose to make the means the end, as I mentioned earlier. 
and also the end, the means. The end is in every moment. And in, sometimes it's not about what you achieve, but rather who you become. And that's my words there. I have to remind myself of that. It's, it's not always what I do and what, what I've done, what I've accomplished, but who I'm becoming in the process. That's something that I've learned in my years on the planet that I do wish I knew when I was younger. So destination addiction is all about the getting there. As soon as we get there, everything will be all right, we tell ourselves. Hence, we intend intend to enjoy our successes, but not now. We will enjoy our life, but not now. We mean to be a better partner, but not now. We want to spend more time with the kids, but not now. We like the idea of stopping to smell the flowers, but not right now. Sound familiar? The problem with destination addiction is we are not fully present in our lives. We suffer from psychological absenteeism. We're just basically not here. We're missing in action. We're MIA, baby. We exist somewhere between the there and the now. In the neighborhood of devoid of any real inspiration and grace, and I'll add power for that matter, I say this a lot in my show. There's a Native American saying that when your feet, your heart, and your mind line up in the same place is when you're in integrity and then you're in your true power. That we need to be in alignment of our feet, our heart, and our mind. So without this, we're a shadow of our true selves. Not now means no life. Not now means no connection. Grace knocks on the door, but we are not here. Opportunity knocks, but we're out. (laughs) Success knocks, but we don't answer. So getting there is a dream of success that runs ahead of you. It's always in the future. Thus, you continually try to close the gap between here and now. Getting there propels you forward toward the destination, but it does not teach you how to stop and enjoy the destination when you arrive. As the artist Gertrude Stein remarked, whenever you get there, there's no there there. (laughs) Bummer. Or just when you get there, another there appears. Sound familiar? So then you're on to chasing the new there. Almost there, but not yet. Almost successful, but not quite yet. Almost satisfied, but not yet. Part of the Latin root of the word word grace is gratis, which means welcome. Interesting, right? Classical literature is full of great thinkers who taught that the key to a rich life is to welcome the here and now. Enjoy the precious present. Remember the holy instant and meditate on the eternal now. Mystics, philosophers, and quantum physics agree that the stuff of now is the stuff of future. Nature is a living unity of living units in each of which the power of the holy is present. This is why grace is possible in every moment. If love is the heart of the success intelligence, then grace is the spirit of success intelligence. Grace is the awareness that life is always lived in the present and that getting there really means 
being here. At a recent meeting at a bank with a manager, an example is given by Kevin who noticed his coffee mug had the words be here now printed on them. He says, I bought this mug after reading your book, Happiness Now, and it appeared of all places on the shelf of my local post office. When I remember to be here now, I'm more effective in meetings. I have more energy and I'm better with customers. I enjoy my day more, says Kevin. And isn't that what it's about, right? Enjoying the moments because guess what? The moments of each day add up your life. How you spend your moment to moment is how you're spending your life. It's the small increments of time that add up to our experience, isn't it? So now is your goal? To be successful, you have to find your now. Your now is the timeless values you carry with you. Your now is the constant principles that inspire your actions. Your now is the inner wisdom that coaches you in every moment. Your now is also your portal to grace and inspiration. You can't get to the future without going through the now. The little word grace is like a small window that opens up out onto a great landscape. Your now is your unconditioned self. It is your truth, and it is what you love with your whole heart. Success is being with your now wherever you go. Your now is also your teacher. It is true we can learn a lot from our past. It's also true that the present moment has much to teach us. Indeed, the class of now has every lesson a person needs in order to move ahead in life. A commitment to continuous learning can be as simple as stopping on occasion to inquire, am I living well right now? What is life teaching me right now? What do I need to learn right now? And I'll add, with anything that's painful, challenging, frustrating, insert, unwanted emotion, asking yourself, okay, life, what is it you want me to know right now? My own daily pl planner actually has a prayer printed at the top there that reads, okay, I'm yours today, great spirit, and do with me as you will so I can be of best use to you today. Your now is your gift. In the English language, the word present also means now, here, and gift. Is this merely chance, or is it grace speaking? When the receiver is ready, the giver appears. Wisdom is knowing how to maximize the enjoyment of each moment. Being fully present enables people to give their best and also to receive the best life has to offer. If you're like most people, you find it easier to give than receive, but this is an imbalance in the reciprocal nature of life. The law of giving and receiving is a universal law. And notice it says giving and receiving. It doesn't just say the law of giving. And unfortunately, through a lot of well-meaning religious teachings, we are taught that it's more blessed to give than receive. However, we know that that's out of balance with the cyclical, reciprocal nature of life. And a well that's dry can't give water 
to quench the thirst of those in need of the hydration. So receiving is a very important ability that's critical. And receiving is the feminine energy, my friend. It is the feminine energy of the essence of life and one that we all need to cultivate in order to be in more balance, particularly if you are a high achiever like me, being better at letting people help you, letting people give you gifts, letting life give you messages, direction, help, support, rest, refilling your cup, right? Being resourced, having a bounty, an abundance that's so much and overflowing. You, you're just bursting at the energy of wanting to share it with others. That's really when the magic of life begins. And you, it can't happen when you're barren, when you're burnt out, when you're fried, when you're exasperated, when you're frustrated, when you're going on fumes, right? Let's see how patient you are with your kids. Let's see how much energy you have to exercise when you're exhausted. Let's see how much energy you have to make the time to prepare properly resourced, wholesome foods for yourself and not just calling Uber Eats or Domino's Takeout or something when you're just too tired to cook. Yeah, well, we need to be resourced and energy it takes energy to make energy. It's just like money. You know, it's like it takes money to make money. Well, energy is the highest form of currency there is, isn't it? In fact, energy and money are synonymous. Money is just a form of energy for that matter. So, but I went off on a tangent again. So back to Robert Holden's wisdom. Destination addiction makes people feel as though they should always be further ahead of where they are now. They constantly fear that they're not progressing fast enough with their lives. They believe that they're running behind with their careers. I mean, do you feel like, like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, you know, like you are not where you should be at this point in life? You had an expectation that hasn't been met? Yup. Well, listen up. That means you probably qualify as having destination addiction like me. Ah, but I'm working on it. <laughs> So they're always feeling like they're running behind. Just pick the subject with the commute, with the schedule, with their life, with their career, with their relationship. They're always chasing the next goal. By the next birthday, this should happen. You know, by the next whatever. They're also hypercritical, that I will add, and they're forever shooting on themselves. I should be further in my career by now. I should have gotten married by now. I should have had kids by now. I should have achieved more by now. Yikes. Destination addiction causes us to be permanently impatient with ourselves. The schedule we set for ourselves is so demanding that we end up driving ourselves harder and faster, pushing, pushing, pushing. Not to mention we go nuts when something unexpected throws a wrench in the plan or the schedule, right? You didn't factor in that white space for your printer to bust or, or whatever, the internet to go out or lose power with a storm, right? It screwed up my schedule and you lose your mind, right? You ever freak out when that happens? <laughs> well... Uh, listen up. So we refuse to give ourselves if we cannot keep up. Our diaries are so full, we will not give our, ourselves 10 minutes even in the day. You know, the Gospel of Luke 29, 19 says, In your patience possesses ye souls. 
but we're too impatient for success. So we promise to catch up with ourselves somewhere up ahead. We press on and we lose touch with ourselves. We keep going and we leave ourselves behind. We have no time for ourselves and we're permanently impatient with everybody else. We are a society of fast impressions. If a relationship does not develop fast enough, we drop it. If a person cannot speak in sound bites, we tune out. If people do not get to the point quickly, we make their point for them. If a relationship hits trouble, it's difficult to trust it has any further value. We are uncomfortable with pauses in conversations. We often interrupt conversations to get to the end faster because we need to move on. <laughs> Sound familiar? We are permanently impatient because we are addicted to the pursuit of progress. Are you addicted to the pursuit of progress? Mm, it's one thing to want progress and value it. It's another thing to be addicted to it, right? And certainly with an expectation of a timeline. I would say if you have an expectation of a timeline, then mm, most likely you have destination addiction, my friend. Success intelligence would have us examine what is progress. According to destination addiction, to progress is to move along a timeline from here to there as quickly as possible. But to what end? Impatience impedes real progress if the focus is only on getting to the future faster. Real progress is a real-time goal that is about the here and now, living well today, being more present, caretaking this moment, and enjoying the time of your life, enjoying the time of and in your life. Real progress is not about living fa faster life. It's about living life better. We're often impatient because we do not know the value of patience. In fact, we may be afraid of patience for we fear that patience means deferment, forfeit, or even loss. Sometimes, however, patience is opportunity. Hmm, that's an interesting way to look at it. How is patience an opportunity? Listen to this. This is one of my favorite parts about Robert Holden's work. Patience helps us to be more receptive and more deeply engaged and to find the treasure at the spot on the map marked here. Patience keeps us in the moment longer, and we're thereby better able to welcome grace and good fortune on our journey. So patience is like a holding pattern, and rather than being impatient, wanting to just get forward and get through it, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, sometimes life has us in a holding pattern for a reason. At least this is something that I learned, because we haven't quite grasped the lesson yet. If life moved us too quickly forward, like that example I gave in the beginning of the butterfly and the, and the chrysalis and needing to go through the steps of the process in order to sustain the new transformation of having wings, that we won't be able to sustain the new self that we have become. And so having patience is to keep us in a spot that actually is for our greatest good. And I don't know about you, but I like to think of great spirit 
as the loving, benevolent parent that knows better. Like when your one-year-old kid or your little puppy wants to just run free in the street and whatever, and you've got it on a leash or you're pulling it back because you know that's dangerous. You might get hit by a car. A lot of times in our limited human, even adult consciousness, we're not aware of all the factors that are involved and could be to our peril. So Great Spirit, as the benevolent parent, knows more. We certainly don't know more, right? But sometimes we're stuck in a holding pattern because there are factors that are unbeknownst to us. But holding us there can let things marinate and evolve. And then we start noticing when we lean into it, rather than fighting being in where we're at, that, oh, wow, this enabled me to develop this part of me or really appreciate this part of my life. I mean, look what happened with the with the COVID pandemic and the lockdowns, right? A lot of people switched careers and wrote the book that they've always wanted to write or, you know, clean out the house or revisit their values and get clear on their priorities. So for the people that really thrived in the pandemic were people that rather than resisting it, as the Buddha said, the source of all suffering is the resistance, the attachment to the way things are, not necessarily to what you're going through. But the people that thrived were the people that didn't really resist it, but rather, you know, that expression, made lemonade out of lemons, right? They just leaned into it and tried to look at the opportunity. So that's what, to me, patience gives you the opportunity to to learn. It helps us to be more receptive and more deeply engaged, and to find the treasure at the spot marked here. Patience basically keeps us in the moment longer, like it or not, (laughs) and we are thereby better able to welcome grace and good fortune on the journey. Progress is the intelligent use of experience. Impatient means you often only touch the surface of any experience and exit none the wiser. But patience brings you more immediate results because you commit more fully to where you are and you give your best to each moment. You are instant-minded, not distant-minded. Patience teaches you how to welcome and receive each instant. Ironically, you make faster progress because you stayed around longer. So this is a really cool quote that I want to share with you. It's by theologian Henry J.M. Nowin. And he describes, I think, really excellently. Is that a word? Excellently. He describes really well (laughs) the value of patience. And he writes, the word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the fullest in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. Impatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else, and therefore they want to go somewhere else. Think about that. Isn't that so true? Like it's whatever it is, it, (laughs) it's not happening where I am right now. It's somewhere else. So the present moment, when we're impatient, is empty. But patient people dare to stay fully where they are. Patient 
living means to live actively in the present and wait there. Waiting then is not passive. And this is what I was saying at the beginning about surrendering. It's not giving up. It's not like you've checked out and you're not participating. I think this is critical. And this is why I wanted to do this solo cast with you today. Because it, waiting and patience, although not passive, it involves nurturing the moment. And that's why it's active. Just as a mother nurtures a child that's growing with inside her, we are actively participating in the moment, not just using it as a means to the end to get to something else. So this is really cool too. Apparently, if you heard of the term Godspeed, well, Godspeed was once a common old English blessing used by friends and travelers. You know, they would say as you like leave someone's company, Godspeed, you know, kind of like good luck type thing. It's out of fashion now. Um, you might hear it in like a Game of Thrones or something, which is one of my favorite shows. Um, but it's heard only in classic black and white films, maybe, or, you know, swashbuckling musketeers or heroes of war and kings and queens of the day. But if Godspeed were still used, it would mean basically live as fast as you can. Work as quickly as possible and don't stop till you get there. But listen to this. In Old English, Godspeed did not mean fast. It meant to prosper, to be wise, to enjoy the highest success. In fact, the word speed, which by the way is spelt S-P-E-D-E, not S-P-E-E-D as in fast. It's spelt speed, almost like spade with an E. The word speed is from the Old English spidan, which means success. So the paradox of fast is that doing things fast isn't always the quickest way to success. That's for sure. You ever hear the expression, haste makes waste? I mean, how often do you do things quickly and then you end up wasting more time because you get to fix mistakes or going backwards? I know that happens to me a lot when I'm like typing an email or trying to bang something out. I just have to always go back and fix all of it. So fast has its advantage when used appropriately, sure. But it's not the only strategy for success, that's for sure. Success intelligence, as taught by Robert Holden, appreciates the importance of fast and slow, movement and stillness, pursuit and pause, action and rest. So then we're back to our great polarities, right? The masculine and the feminine. It's not all about the go, it's also about the flow. And it's about having the discretion to know when, which is appropriate. A big part of the mission of my show. The wisdom of fast is knowing when and how to change gears. Because living fast does not guarantee quicker happiness. And working fast does not guarantee more quality. That's for sure. Success requires a strategic balance between fast and slow. So think about it. Here are some questions to ponder if you don't think that's true. Are the best musicians those who can play their instruments fastest? 
Are the best actors the one who can say their lines the quickest? Are the wisest people you know the fastest thinkers? Do the best golf swings do the best golfers swing their clubs faster than the rest? Do the best athletes force the pace from the front for the entire race? Are the best leaders the one who have had overnight success? Are the best companies the ones that grow the quickest? Do the best friendships develop the fastest? Are the most successful people on the planet always in a hurry? Ha ha. Something to ponder. Success intelligence is knowing when to go fast and when to take things slowly. The ability to go fast becomes counterproductive when you try to do everything fast, right? Again, it's back to that discretion to know when to apply which method. The joy of slow teaches you to discern between busyness and wisdom, effort and grace, progress and truth. Slowing down can help you stay true <laughs> to your vision during the fast times. Not to mention, it rests your adrenal system, your hormones, and your physiology. I don't know about you, but I power down at the end of the day, and I pretty much am not on my phone after at least 8 p.m., and not at all, certainly, no, 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 after 9 p.m., not going to happen. And I consciously try to change my whole energy from my movements around my house, how quickly I'm moving, you know, the way in which I'm moving, I move in a less linear way of being more direct. And like, if I'm going to walk into a room, I don't necessarily go in a straight line. I might take more of a sinuous path, like a snake. Um, I just am more conscious of my whole energy, my whole being system slowing down to help get my body ready for rest and replenishment. Not only is it good for my body, but my mind. But that's just a little personal example I'll share with you on how you can practically apply this kind of thing. So the joy of slow teaches us to discern between busyness and wisdom, between effort and grace, progress and truth. Slowing down can help you stay true to your vision during the fast times, and slowing down can help you to sharpen your focus, adjust the blurring, and be more perceptive. In fact, slowing down can help you basically go faster, better, which is so true, right? Because you have more reserves. The hurry and the busyness are not our real lives. They are just what we do with our time. Our real lives take place in the spaces between the hurry and busyness. It is here that we connect to what inspires us and moves us. It is here that that grace we are all looking for exists. The joy of slow is that it helps us remember our true goals and to know what we really want to be busy about. It certainly brings consciousness and awareness, mindfulness, that common buzzword, to our days. The joy of slow is that it creates space. This is an important point. It creates the pause, the space, the breath, the moment between the breaths for clearer guidance and new possibilities. It basically, and this is my words, brings your soul back online, right? It helps your body line up to where your mind is. 
So in the slow moments, we're often more receptive, more economical, more astute, more strategic, and basically wiser. The joy of slow is that it helps you to fully inhabit where you are now and to savor each moment. You know, so even like eating, you taste something delicious and you just like scarf it down, right? Did you even taste it? I know a good friend of mine that pretty much done the whole plate before like, you know, most of us have had a quarter that's on the plate. It's like, did you even taste your food or did you basically just inhale it? <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's picking off everybody else's plate, I'll add. <laughs> so the ability of slowing down things brings more flavor and richness to your life. It helps you to be grateful and to enjoy what you already have. The words grace and gratitude share the same Latin, gratia. Ultimately, slowing down can help you connect and be more immediately aware of what you truly value. The philosophy of slow, which now I guess it's a philosophy, states that if something is worth doing, it's worth doing slowly. If you cannot afford the time to do something slowly, it may be a sign there is no value in it, even if you were to do it quickly. And I'll add, it's probably also a sign you're completely overscheduled and stressing yourself out. So it's no wonder why you can't sleep, you can't focus, your hair is falling out, you overeat, and you numb out with drugs, shopping, alcohol, Netflix, insert your medicinal thing. (laughs) So the most successful people in life usually have learned how to cultivate the quality of inner stillness. This might, might be why meditation has become so popular. They use stillness to quiet the mind, to punctuate the busyness, to manage the pace of the day, and to just listen to their best wisdom. Now listen, if meditation is not for you, I will add that it's not my favorite thing either, but what I've started to do was incorporate a little quiet walk after my lunch, which is my biggest meal of the day. And um, usually it's done without my phone, or if I'm using my phone, I either have nothing on, I just have the phone nearby in case, you know, I get lost or whatever, need to call somebody. Or if I listen to the phone, I listen to a listening to smile sound healing technology. You can find that on my website. It's, It's super balancing and harmonizing and completely blisses me out and revitalizes me and gives me energy, helps balance my whole physiology. So I will listen to that. Um, And that's been, for me, the slowing down period after I have something to eat. It helps me get away from work, get away from technology, do something healthy, breathe the fresh air, be in the sunshine, do something good for my body, and just give my body a break. And I'm very conscious not to speed walk like I used to do in the 80s. (laughs) Now I just, you know, just meander. You ever meander? How about that word, meander? I'd have to look up what that means. But I know my little Charlotte enjoys it, my little five-pound puppy. She, you know, enjoys mom not just running around like a lunatic like I (laughs) can do in my house when I'm working, trying to, like, beat the clock, right? But just shifting gears and and just going in that nice, slow, enjoying, savoring pace. So if meditation is not for you, then maybe you want to try something like that. You know, incorporate a little simple habit like that, finding whatever works, okay? It might even be just the way you cook dinner. You don't do it in a rushed way, and that means scheduling enough time for you to prepare the food where you don't have to rush, right? But uh, watch how much better 
the food tastes and how much more it uh, gives you nutrition as well, I'll add, if you do it like that. So it's interesting how the most successful people have learned how to cultivate some sort of practice of inner stillness, and it certainly helps balance their days. Um, you know, it's said that they're like the eye of a storm. You know, the expression that if you ever, you know, analyze what's inside a hurricane or a tornado or a twister, you know, the inside of, the, of it, the center point, which is called the eye, is perfectly still. And it's completely immune to the complete chaos and disruption that's going on on the exterior, which is really an amazing dichotomy when you think about it. The center is the most calm part. Wow. There's a lot we can learn from nature once again. And these people that are successful and have cultivated this, this little habit of finding some space of inner stillness are similar to the eye of a storm. They are busy but they're relaxed. They're active, but they're unhurried. They're passionate and they're calm. They have a natural grace about them that allows them to participate in the world and keep sane. So lastly, just to land this plane and wrap this up, you know, I will leave you with the idea of trying to find the white space in your life. And this can mean not overscheduling yourself, right? And certainly not beating yourself up when you only do one or two items on your huge to-do list. This is something I'm cultivating in my, my emotional fitness myself right now. And that, you know, oftentimes things will take longer than you thought. And unexpected problems, complications will arise, right? Um, and first of all, taking that with grace and with ease and just to be expected that things don't always go smoothly because certainly when they do go smoothly, I say a huge gratitude prayer, that's great. Um, but pulling into your life that balancing energy of all the hurried and busy and achieving that, that critical piece of the little breathing space in between and watch how that extrapolates into other areas of your life. Because we know that the best museums, theaters, symphony, temples, all of these sources of grace and inspiration all have some kind of essence of stillness. Even like lakes and rivers, woods, fields, and gardens, all of Mother Nature, always, in spite of the storms and the tumultuousness that can happen periodically, they all also have a balancing aspect that encourages us to be still and to know. And in closing, Robert Holden shares with us this beautiful little poem. Be still and know God. Be still and know who you are. Be still and know what is true. Be still and know what is success. Be still and know what is joy. Be still and know how to listen. Be still and know how to receive. Be still and know how to love. Be still and know. So, 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode, my friend. I enjoyed being with you alone today, just the two of us. And uh, you know what to do. If you got any value of the show, you can help support me and keeping the show going by subscribing and sharing it with a friend. Tag me on social media at FitAmyTV. I would love to connect with you, and I'll give you a shout-out and a big virtual hug and kiss. And remember, censorship is real. I've been censored a lot on my social media platforms. It's probably just a matter of time where I won't be there. So we can stay connected through my email list where you can sign up for free and even get a free mini ebook for me. And I will never share your email with anybody. And you can unsubscribe anytime, of course. And that's at my website, amyfournier.com. That's A-M-Y, F as in Fox. O-U-R-N-I-E-R.com. And you can also catch me on YouTube, of course. So thank you so much for listening. Let's go out there and be present, be in the now, be future focused, and then the wanting to achieve and accomplish goals and amazing things and dreams in life. But most importantly, always remembering to pull it back to the present so we don't miss the beauty, the connections, the inspiration, the guidance the love and the wisdom that's right now in the present, in the moment. Thanks, my friend. I'll see you next time. Would you like to support my mission to help empower people all over the world to be all of who they truly are? If so, please subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes and share it with a friend. And if you're looking to take immediate action to align your energy and optimize your health, visit amyfournier.com. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite. Let's awaken her together in you. I'm your hostess, Amy Fournier, and I already can't wait to be with you again and for you to hear what I have planned for the next show. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. To learn more about Amy, check out her website, amyfournier.com. That's A-M-Y-F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R.com. You can also check out Amy's live and on-demand virtual fitness and yoga classes and sign up for her newsletter to receive a free mini ebook of three of her top tips for making holistic health a lifestyle. Again, that's amyfournier.com and get your ebook sent to your email immediately. Connect with Amy on the daily on Instagram at FitAmyTV, F-I-T-A-M-Y-T-V, and watch many of the podcast episodes and subtopic clips on her YouTube channel, which is also FitAmyTV. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time on Awakening Aphrodite.